Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit ViStarCU.org. This is Duly Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, and welcome into another edition of the Duly Noted Podcast. It is a Tuesday edition. Uh, on Thursday, we will look at the games that are coming up this weekend, including a lot more on in Florida, Tennessee, although we will have Jimmy Himes on today, uh, my good friend, and uh, does a great job covering Tennessee. He's covering forever. Uh, radio personality up there and, of course, knows the SEC very well. We'll talk to him about the Vols. But right now we're going to talk about what happened last weekend. You may be aware Florida won a game. Uh, I don't know. Do you call it the Bluegrass Miracle? That's kind of a – I think it's been copyrighted already for the LSU win over Kentucky way back when. It's amazing. And it's like – I'll tell you kind of a little funny story. Robbie and I both had stories kind of written – or at least started about Florida losing. Because at 21-10, Felipe Franks is done at the end of the third quarter. We both felt like this game was not obviously not going the right way, but we should have known better. We've seen it before. I think the only reason we kind of did start writing our stories is because it was, as Dan Mullen said, it was the same game as last year. Kentucky was dominating both lines of scrimmages and winning the game. And Florida, it didn't look like Florida had an answer. Last year, they didn't have an answer. This year, they did. Um, but it was it, like when I started to write this as my lead, that I can't explain it. But then I said, no, if you if you start out, you know, there's, a, there's a famous story that the, the, the hacks love to talk about. Bill King wrote a story on the, if you remember the 1989 game against Auburn, um, Florida loses on a last-second pass to Shane Wasden. He get, got behind the defense, and and uh, Bill King's lead was Shane Wasden was open. That's all you need to know. And the joke was, well, then why why read any more? Um, so with me, I'm saying I can't. If I say I can't explain it in the first paragraph, people are going to say, well, then why am I going to read it? If he can't explain it, who can? And the fact is, I don't know that I can't explain what happens to Kentucky in those situations, no matter who is the coach, whether it's Guy Morris or Rich Brooks or Jerry Claiborne or whoever. Hal Mummy, they find a way to lose those games, and this Florida team fo- seems to have a knack for winning games and not giving up. You know, I was watching the replay of the game. Uh, I got home finally from our flight, and uh, – Kelsey was was home, and uh, she said, hey, Dad, come on, let's watch the game together. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I want to just go watch the NFL. But I go, yeah, oh, you're right. I'll go sit in th- with you and watch the game. So we watched the game. And when the Felipe injury happened and you saw all those players go out uh, on the field, and yeah, it is a testament to how popular he is with that team. That, this was his team. There's no doubt about it. 
But the other thing I kept thinking in retrospect was that team looked devastated and how were they going to come back from it? I thought it at the time, but I really thought about it a lot when I watched it in replay is I can't believe they won the game because they were upset as a group. They had just seen one of their teammates, their leader, their quarterback, popular guy in the locker room. They had just seen him go down hard and be screaming and crying, and you can't blame him. Nobody's going to blame a guy who dislocated ankle and fracture in his ankle. They had just watched that. They had witnessed that. And it's hard to kind of go, okay, let's go hard now, guys. But they did, and I give them great credit, and I think that goes back to coaching. It goes back to the strength um, and conditioning that they continued to play hard. And they won another game coming back from double-digit double digits down. That's three times they've done that, twice on the road. Now, I know it was Vanderbilt and Kentucky on the road, South Carolina at home. But still, it's impressive. I'm impressed. You know, and I, and I talked all week last week about how this game was going to set up the rest of the season. I think if Florida loses this game, we're, we're literally talking about Let's see if this team – because it would have felt different than last year. Last year, I know, we overreacted. Robbie and I both did. We overreacted. We said, I don't know if they can win four games. They looked that bad in that game on the lines of scrimmage. And they did again this year, but it felt different because um, of the injury to Franks. So now if they – if let's just say Kyle Trask had gone in there and did nothing and they lost that game 28-10, to 10, I think all of us would have felt like, well, this is about – building a team for the future because this season's down the drain. Now, I still don't think this team is, is going to win the Eastern Division. I still don't think they're uh, – I think for them to get to nine or ten wins – and, you know, it's funny because everybody says, well, they were a ten-win team last year. They were, but you got that's counting a bowl game. They were a nine-win team last year. I always counted the regular season. To, for them to get to eight or nine wins, which I think would be a fine effort, for this team with all the injuries they've had and the, the roster we've talked about, it's still going to be very difficult. You, you know, you, you, you really have to win this game against Tennessee. I'm not, like I said, the Kentucky game would set up the rest of the season, and part of it was now you get Tennessee, which lost to Georgia State, which, which lost to Western Michigan 51-17 or 51-10 or 57-10. It was a blowout. But as you know, every game's its own game. You still got to go play. Tennessee's got some good players. But um, to get that win, and the funny thing is, when on the third down play at the end of the game, they run that jet sweep, and I'm just watching. I'm watching Frankie Hammond. I'm Frankie Hammond. Josh Hammond, and I'm watching. I think Robbie made that mistake the other day, and Arnold caught it. You can't help it. Frankie Hammond. It feels like Frankie Hammond. You're watching Josh Hammond. And you're looking at the line to make, not on the TV. We don't have the line to make on the TV. You're looking at the down markers, and you see him get past them. And I literally, I didn't say it real loud, but I just went, he's got it. And then all of a sudden, there he goes. He just took off like a jet. Man, he, he, and, he and Swain both got really fast during their, their time at Florida. And, of course, a lot of talk about he should have fallen down. You know, Coach Mullen had told him, look, you get the first down and then get down. Don't go out of bounds. Nobody said uh, – actually, he didn't say that. He said, get the first down and don't go out of bounds. He didn't say get down. And Mullen 
you know, said basically, I should have told him that was that was bad coaching. But you know, at the same time, man, you break free on a play like that, and you're running, and you've got a chance to score a 76 yard touchdown, and you're not thinking, you're not doing math in your head. In fact, I did the math wrong in my head, and I went, you know, McPherson needs to make this extra point, and then the game's over. It's a nine point. Oh, it's only eight points. And they still could have lost the game, yeah. But they didn't. It's like when Malik Davis did it. Uh, what was it, the Vanderbilt game, I want to say, of the last year of McIlwain? I believe that was it. Um, I think I'm right on that, yeah. Yeah, it would have been the Vanderbilt game. And, uh, you know, the same thing. He was mad at him for not going down, but – you kind of break in the open, and that's you're kind of mentally schooled to do that. Both both of those things worked out. Um, there were so many things that happened in that game. And, you know, one of my sayings is college football season is a handful of plays and a handful of games. This was a bucket full of plays that could have gone either way. Some of them went Florida's way. Some of them did not go Florida's way. You know, the tip ball in the end zone that they're, they're – Wide receiver who used to be a, uh, a uh, Iowa basketball player makes an unbelievable play on. That that doesn't go Florida's way. Obviously, you know, they throw that screen to LaMichael Pirine. He's got a touchdown if he cuts inside. Instead, he just runs right into the defender. That didn't go Florida's way. Some of the penalties didn't go Florida's way. Two t- penalties that wiped out Felipe Franks and what would have been his last touchdowns of the season, as it turns out. But he ran them both in and, and holding penalties on both of them. Obviously, the missed field goal, which was stunning, to be honest with you. But you know what's funny? is is They're getting ready to kick that field goal. I'm sitting there going, you know what? If this was anybody else, I'd have no doubt they'd make it. And this would be a win for that team. And you'll you're, the theme may be, uh, not only has Kentucky won two in a row against Florida, but Florida's secondary is really in trouble without C.J. Henderson. they got to get him back healthy to have any any chance to beat anybody. But he misses it. Because it was Kentucky, I said, you know, he might miss it because Kentucky does Kentucky things. So now we start the Kyle Trask era. And look, Kyle Trask is a great, great story. Um, I think they're – I don't know if they did or not. I think they were going to put up my column back from back in July that I did about Kyle and, and how he didn't want to go to the transfer portal and stayed with Florida. Um, so we start that era. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what Florida's got to start doing better. We'll get into some of the other games in college football. And uh, also three things, all that, and the Jimmy Himes interview coming up after this break on the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better. And that means treating people better with friendly, personal service that's kept our members happy since 1952. A smile and personal greeting when you enter the branch, an online or phone chat for those quick questions, and a call center that's open every day. If you believe that great service is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. 
Zaxby's famous chicken fingers, wings, and salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. All right, so it is uh, the Kyle Trask era and the Emory Jones era to a point, too, because they're going to play both those guys. Um, I was really proud of my note that somebody gave me on a plane. Somebody said it on the plane, and I went, hey, you're right, and then I called Coach Spurrier. But, yes, Kyle Trask is the first quarterback to start for Florida wearing number 11 since Steve Spurrier. Of course, they retired Spurrier's number, and then he unretired it, but he gave it to – Defensive guys usually. O.J. Smalls had it. Demarcus Robinson had it. Riley Cooper had it. And later after Spurrier was gone, uh, Voshan Joseph, of course, had it. Um, but this is the first. Now, I am assuming Kyle Trask starts. It could be they run Emory Jones out for the first play. Or they run them both on the field for the per- first play, as he said he might do. And Emory's under center. And then, guess what? Kyle Trask is not the first. You have to hope he gets healthy so he can be the, the first next week. That's minutia, as we know. Here's the thing. Kyle Trask throws a nice ball. He's not going to throw it as deep. He's not going to be able to go take as many downfield shots um, as, as Felipe Franks. He's probably not going to run it as well. That's why you kind of need Emory Jones in there to give a little bit of a running threat. Um, but the, the thing is, I was asked this question. I was on Sirius Radio last night. Buck Ballou and Brad Hopkins, they do a great job. And I said, they asked me, so what do you think about the Gators now going forward? Like what kind of season do you think they're going to have? And, you know, I said, you know, guys, I just don't know. Uh, it's one thing for a guy to come in and play a quarter and, and against a defense that played himself, which I think was a huge mistake on their part. And it's another thing to be the starter, and you're the guy. Now, there's not, everything that I've seen from Kyle Trask's makeup is that he can handle it, that he'll be fine. Um, talking to him last year, talking to him in media opportunity Monday, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue. He's a pretty grounded kid. I mean, this is a guy who basically, and if you want to go back and read that column, basically said, look, I get a chance to go I'm, to finish my – uh, academia, academia, and get a degree at a top ten university, public university in the country. I love my teammates. I love my coaches. I love Gainesville. I love the University of Florida. Why do I want to go play? Now he didn't say this, but this is what he was basically saying. Why? Why do I want to go play at La Tech or Portland State or Valdosta State? Just so I can play more football? No, I'm going to stay here and hope that things work out. And he did, and it's a great story. I, I think I said this on the radio Monday. It's the story of the year. I'm, so, or it could be the story of the year. It was definitely the story of the week in college football with Kyle Trask. And, you know, I hope, the, I hope the best for him. He's a really good kid. And I hope Emory Jones gets some time too, I think. you know. But the problem, here, here's the new problem you have, and it is a new problem. Kyle Trask has had a track record with injuries. Broke both of his feet, one of them two years ago, one of them last year. And if Emory Jones is all you got left, it's all you got left, now you're down to walk-ons. So that's why I don't know where this season's going to go. And I think 
there's a lot of excitement with Florida fans. Um, and I, I will say this. If you are happy that uh, Felipe Franks got hurt, you're a Gideon of the, of the highest magnitude because that, that guy has done nothing but work his tail off, tried to be good, and I get, I get that he frustrated you at times. I get that you probably threw a remote against the TV. I get that you probably cursed his name. That's part of being a fan. But to be happy that a guy gets hurt that seriously, hurt at all, but really hurt that seriously, and the poor young man was crying coming off the field, you know, you're a giddy if you feel that way. Now, are you? is it okay to be excited that Kyle Trask is a quarterback? Yeah, sure. You know, I, I keep telling people there's a reason why Felipe was starting. Felipe was, according to the coach, who goes through – Game plans with him, watches him at practice every day, was a better quarterback. Bigger upside, understood the offense, did make mistakes. We all know that. He felt he was a better quarterback. Now, why the coach who watches every practice and every bit of film would know more than the fan who watched the spring game, I don't know how that could be possible. But let's all forget all that now, okay? You know, I don't want to get into one of these stupid arguments like did Nick Saban keep the wrong quarterback at Alabama, keeping Tua instead of Jalen Hurts? Those arguments are so specious. They're ridiculous. Let's all be happy for Kyle Trask and see what happens. But I'm not sure what is going to happen. I think, you know, obviously Tennessee's – not great. We know that. And we know the, the struggles they've had. But, you know, are they capable of being Florida? Yes. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I, when I when I talked to a bunch of groups last week, and there was a bunch, I had, for some reason I piled up a bunch of speeches last week. When I talked to them, I told them Flo- that, you know, there are teams that are capable of beating Florida, and there are teams that really kind of aren't. And Kentucky definitely was capable, and as we saw, probably should have won the game in a lot of ways. And Tennessee, it's like it's capable of beating Florida, just barely capable. Like they've got enough players, good players, that if Florida plays poorly. But to me, if if Florida plays good, not, not even great, they can't lose to Tennessee. But if they play badly or or less than average, they could definitely lose this game. I don't think they will. I think they're going to rally around the situation. I think being at home – don't forget, this is a team that it feels like they've been playing and practicing and uh, media days was, what, July 17th, I think, or 16th. They played one game in Gainesville. So I think they're going to be excited to be at home. Um, and and fired up, and I would I would hope that the fans will would support him. I know it's a noon game, and it's easy for Pat Dooley to sit here and go, I don't know why you guys wouldn't go to the game and sit in the sun, man, on those little bleachers. You know, I was in the press box because I was getting paid to sit there. I get that. I get that. I, I I'm just saying. I hope they get your support because these guys deserve it. I also get you may not want to sit in the sun. I also get you may want to stay home. I also get you may have other things to do. 
I don't, I'm not telling you you have to go. I'm telling you it would be great if you do go. Okay? That's all I'm saying. Now, Florida has got to get better, in my mind, in three ways. One is that the offensive line's got to improve, and it's not good right now. It's not a good situation. Tennessee's defensive front's not very good, and we'll hear from Jimmy Himes in just a minute. Uh, They've got to get better there, and will they? I don't know. Did they last year? Yeah, they made vast improvement from the Kentucky game to the end of the season. They've got to do that. Number two is they've got to cut down on these turnovers from their quarterback. Now, their quarterback's different, but they can't get back into that mode, especially in a game like this where you don't want to give a team hope. You don't want Tennessee to come into that game going, hey, we just got to pick. We got we can, we can win this game. Well, let's shock everybody and win this game. Hey, they just kicked the ball. on a, They just dropped a snap, whatever. You've got to take care of the ball, and especially your quarterback does, because let's face it, um, you know, Felipe in the two big games they had had four turnovers, and that was too much. And thirdly, I think, is that a word, thirdly? Greatly, thirdly. Um, the Gators need to start fast. They, 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 this team has got a weird uh, pattern of not starting games fast, and they do make good adjustments in the second half. The one game last year where they really started fast, if you remember, was Tennessee. They got those early turnovers, and next thing you know, that game was all, like over at halftime. That, that's fine if you want to do that, guys. It'd be great. Um, I did want to talk about what happened with Cash Daniels, who, um, look, the guy is, they love him up there. And I think he's the kind of guy that if he's on your team, you'll love him to death. Your teammates love him. If you don't, if he, if he's on your team, you think he's a, a punk and him trying to twist Kyle Trask's ankle, the SEC is looking at it. They are definitely looking at it. They're reviewing it. I doubt anything is going to happen because where is he? Like you, it looks like he's doing it. Kyle Trask said he did it. Dan Mullen said he did it. People, other people that were playing said he did it. But there, you can't look at it and go, oh, he definitely tried to twist his ankle. So I don't think anything will happen. However, of course, I say that, and today they may come out with a half-game suspension or something. Uh, but, you know, it was a punk move. There's no doubt about it. Totally punk move. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back with Jimmy Himes, and then we'll get into some of the other college football over the weekend, which wasn't a bad weekend. It wasn't great, and uh, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I enjoyed a lot of the games that were being played. And we'll talk a little bit about the AP poll and, of course, three things. All that and more coming up on the Duly Noted Podcast after we talk to Jimmy Himes. Let's take a break, though, right now at Gatorsports.com. ABC Fine Wine and Spirits in Florida is family-owned since 1936 and longtime Gator supporters. Did you know Touchdown Terrace was named after the founder, Jack Holloway? There are 122 ABC locations throughout Florida. Shop online at abcfws.com and pick up in-store on the way to your tailgater game day party. ABC has walk-in coors for beer and amazing deals every day on wine and spirits. Save $10 on every $100 on wine. ABC Wickers, proud Gator supporters.
Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. Always a great pleasure to talk to my friend Jimmy Himes, the king of Knoxville Sports Radio, maybe just the king of all media in, in that area, but uh, great to have him on. And uh, Jimmy, um, you know, LaMichael P. Ryan said at SEC Media Days that this isn't a rivalry game, and I, I can't really argue with him anymore. It doesn't feel like a big rivalry game this week. Well, when one team's won, what, 13 of the last 14, it's hard to call it a rivalry game. Uh, I may be a little bit off on this, but I think Dan Mullen did a press conference yesterday that went 32 minutes, and, and there wasn't a question about Tennessee till the last part, last minute or so of the press conference. That's correct, yeah. Uh, which tells you, obviously, there's focus on the quarterback situation and other things about Florida. First, One of the first things uh, Pruitt was asked here, Jeremy Pruitt, was about Florida. So that, that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of the mindset. But Florida's had Tennessee's number. Now, they've had several close games in the sure. swamp in some recent years, and, and Florida's been able to pull them out, whether it was a bomb from Franks or a pass to Callaway from Will Greer, whatever it is. They've been able to find a way to win. And um, my guess is that Florida comes in very confident and Tennessee comes in hoping. We'll see. Yeah, and that's the thing. You always a desperate team is always a dangerous team, and in Florida, obviously, starting a quarterback who has not started a game since his freshman year of high school. Uh, so it, it it you know there's a recipe there. You can see Tennessee win, winning the game, but you know, I, I just wanted Jimmy. I wanted you to tell us what you see when you look at the talent of that Tennessee team, like on a scale of one to ten. Where do you think it is? Relative to the SEC or relative yeah. to what Tennessee used to be? Well, either one. <laughs> I would say relative to the SEC, Tennessee's talent would be, uh, on a 1 to 10 scale, it would be 5, which is average. The recruiting rankings would tell you one story. The eye test tells me another. I really don't care if somebody was a 3, 4, 5-star. When I watch him play, I want to see how good he is. And Tennessee doesn't have much talent in a lot of areas. Now, the defensive line's not very good at all. I don't care what they were rated when they got here. They're just not very good. The offensive line has more higher-rated players, but they have not played well in several years. And I think that uh, there was a quarterback at Tennessee a few years ago that was a phenomenal runner named Josh Dobbs, and I think he masked the problem with the offensive line. The offensive line wasn't all that good. It's just that Dobbs and the zone-read scheme, I think, hid that. But I I think Tennessee is, is... Pretty average in talent. Uh, it's not even close. Look, here's here's a good stat for you. 1964 to like 2013, Tennessee had a player drafted every year. And they had 30-something first-round draft picks. In the last five years, three times Tennessee has not had a player drafted, including last year. Now, the NFL draft isn't the end-all, be-all, but it's a dang good indicator. And, yeah. and if you're not having people drafted, that pretty much tells you you don't have that much talent yeah there's no question about it and obviously you you mentioned the defensive line and of course uh uh you know sean elliott after that win by georgia state which clearly is going to be the highlight of their year <laughs> after what we saw happen to him last week yeah, um, it won't be the western michigan game will it <laughs> no, i don't think so <laughs> but after that game he said look we we looked at tape on them from last year we thought we could mo- push them around a little bit um and and then that's you know, again, Florida's not their strength is not their offensive line, but yeah. I would think that Florida's looking at that, thinking the same thing. We need to be be able to run the ball against them. Well, and and you would you would think they might be able to, considering the way Georgia State did, 
Uh, Brigham Young didn't run as well against Tennessee. Uh, Chattanooga, they're outmanned. They don't really count that much. But they did have some moments where they moved the, the ball and, and knocked Tennessee off the line. It is interesting. I think that the weakness of the Florida team is the offensive line. The weakness for the Tennessee team is the defensive line. I don't know who wins that battle. I was kind of alarmed that until Josh Hammonds broke off that long run late in the game, Florida had 62 yards rushing against Correct. Kentucky, and Piran had 27 on 14 carries. But Tennessee's defensive line is not as good as Kentucky's, nor is the offensive line at Tennessee as good as Kentucky. So uh, that that's the challenge for this team. Now, having said all that, last year they that Tennessee team that wasn't very good went to Auburn and upset the Tigers, uh, hosted Kentucky here and beat them 24-7 and whipped them at the line of scrimmage. This is a hard game to figure out sometimes, but Tennessee is not really good at the line of scrimmage. I think their skill people are pretty good for the most part. I think their linebackers and the defensive backs are pretty good, but they're just not very good at the line of scrimmage. And and that's what kept me from being as optimistic a lot of, as a lot of people up here that were picking Tennessee to win eight or nine. I thought there's no way. You're not good enough at the line of scrimmage. So far, that has borne true. Yeah, and I would think the thing that keeps Todd Grantham awake at night is that their receivers are talented. They've got some big guys mm-hmm. who've, who've played a lot of football. Uh, and Guarantano, you know, will stay stay in that pocket as we know sometimes too long, but he will he he's a tough kid and and that's got to be a concern for Florida, which uh, really kind of got lit up in the passing game last week. Yeah, uh, and that was interesting to see that by a backup quarterback at Kentucky. Uh, Garantano has had good moments. Now he's not started well. He didn't play well in the first two games at all. Uh, he stared down his receivers. He missed open receivers, and he was inaccurate. He threw a bad opening ball against Chattanooga. Then he went seven for seven with three touchdown passes. So he played well, but he wasn't. There wasn't much resistance. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Uh, T. Martin, Tennessee's pass game coordinator, spoke at the Knoxville Quarterback Club yesterday and said something interesting. He said that Jim Chaney, the offensive coordinator, and Garantano are still trying to get on the same page. Garantano's had three offensive coordinators in three years. So what he said, and I'll change the language a little bit, but it used to be this play for Garantano was red wagon. Now it's blue bicycle. Mm -hmm. And they're still trying to get on the same page about what the calls are, what the terminology is. And I I think the Garantano, who is trying to please Chaney, has been hesitant with a lot of his throws and his reads. And I I think as the season goes, he'll get better. Will he be better against Florida? I don't know because Tennessee's got two true freshmen starting on that offensive line against a Florida team that can get after the quarterback. That's going to be a big challenge for Tennessee. Yeah, and we've seen what Florida did against Miami's true freshman had 10 sacks in that right. game. So, uh, you know, didn't fare well against Kentucky's uh, veteran offensive line. That's a good offensive line. Yeah. Uh, as you know, Jimmy, but uh, I'm just I, I, I'm writing a column for uh, that's going to run in Friday's paper at GatorSports.com, just about what happened to Kentucky and, and the demise. Uh, to me, it started with that 01 SEC championship game when they were get, they were getting ready to go play for their four, second national title in four years, and all of a sudden right. they couldn't stop the quarterback draw with a right. backup quarterback, and from that point on, it hasn't felt the same at Tennessee. They've had moments, uh, played for the SEC championship in 04 and had a couple of 80-yard runs wiped out by offensive holding and lost 38-28 to Auburn. In 07, led LSU in the fourth quarter and then uh, threw a pick six. Uh, Those have been the highlights, pretty much. Yeah, I remember Uh, that game well, yeah. 
Yeah, and so, but when I look at this, uh, Pat, I, I did some research. So I went back to the 1960s going forward, which I consider close to modern football. And so uh, Tennessee finished, had the fifth most wins of anybody in the SEC in the 60s, 70s, 80s. They were second in the 90s to Florida. Then they came back and they were fifth in the 2000s. This decade of the 2010s, I haven't done the math. I haven't added it up yet, but they're going to rank about 10th, maybe maybe ninth. It's it's bad. I think and I'm going to go so, add it up and scoop you on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you can add faster than I can. But uh, <laughs> but but it, it's it's been a precipitous drop, no question about it. You and I were talking all fair. Look, Tennessee's had a series of bad hires. Only once since Fulmer was fired have they hired the first guy they went after, and that, ironically enough, was Lane Kiffin. That's the only guy they offered the job to. Then when Kiffin left for Southern Cal after a year, uh, Derek Dooley was maybe their fifth or sixth choice. Uh, then they went after Butch Jones. He was their fourth or fifth choice when they couldn't get a lot of other people. And then Jeremy Pruitt, he was Fulmer's first choice. But John Curry, who got fired as the AD, I don't know if Pruitt was even on his radar. So they've had a series of, of bungled situations on hiring people, and I don't subscribe to the Tennessee goes cheap theory, and here's why. They went after Mike Gundy twice, willing to offer him five, six, or seven million. He said no. They had a package together for Gruden at least five years ago. Well, they offered him five years at thirty million dollars, and he said no. It's not that they were going cheap; it's just they paid the market value for the coaches they hired, and they have not done a good job of hiring coaches. So I, I think it's directly related to the inability to hire the right coach. I'm not saying Pruitt's not the right coach. I don't know yet. I think this jury's still out on him. Think about this, though. It it, it could have been Dan Mullen very easily. Yes. And, well, it could, and it could have been Mike Leach, uh, as we all know. And I yes. guarantee you they would have been in better shape with either one of those guys. Well, I would agree with that. Now, here's what I was told about Mullen. So Tennessee wanted Mullen. And I was told by Mississippi State source of mine that he was waiting on the Florida deal, that that's what he really wanted. I don't know if your people told you the yeah, same thing. That's, that's true, yeah. And and so, but they went after Mullen, and he kind of slow played it. I think Florida was interested in Scott Frost. When that didn't work out, they went after Mullen and got him. And then Tennessee went through a series of coaches and couldn't get anybody. Uh, went after Mike Leach, but by that time Curry was going to be fired, and then Fulmer took over. So, um, I, I I think if you get the right coach in here, Tennessee's going to be fine. It's just a matter of finding the right coach. And that's the question I have for you. How good a job is Tennessee? Uh, last question for you. I um, I didn't, and I, I get a lot of Tennessee fans upset with me over this. I didn't think, a lot of people think it's a top 10 job. I don't think it's a top 10 job. Now, I think it's probably closer to a top 20 job, but with every losing season, the luster, uh, the, the shine dims a little bit, right? So maybe top 20, top 25, Um I disagree with the theory that, boy, the, the the media up there is so negative, nobody wants to coach there. No, that's not it. It's not that. It's just finding the right guy at the right time. And and uh, so they haven't been able to do that. But I think it's a top 20 or top 25 job. I think it's around the sixth best job in the SEC. You could argue Auburn and A&M. Uh, maybe it's seventh. And, but, but you still got a 100,000-seat stadium. The recruiting in this state is so much better, Pat, than it was when I started covering this program in 1985. They're great players in Nashville, in Memphis, and in East Tennessee. The population has boomed here. It's a, there's a lot better football. Since the Titans got here and NFL football got here, 
high school football has has become exponentially better. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, and in fact, one guy that used to be on the coaching staff of the Titans is a wide receiver with Florida, Jefferson, really good player. So I, I think it's still a good job, a top 20, top 25 job, in my opinion. Jimmy Himes joining us, and we appreciate his time. He is as, as good as you're going to get if you want to talk about Tennessee or anything in the SEC. And I know he does uh, Frank Frangie's show as well, and you can hear him on radio up there. I mean, how can they reach you on Twitter, uh, Jimmy? At Jimmy Himes. Uh, now, I've had as many as 24 fake accounts. We've whittled that down to eight. So uh, we're, we're making progress. Is but, there a faux account where you were people? You know, I, there's a faux Pat Dooley account, you know. So it's well, com- yeah, I've got and, – and the thing, I didn't I didn't find it as comical as some because people were putting uh, racial stuff. They were putting uh, fake news out there. They yeah. were saying I was reporting this, that, and the other. And then I'd get a phone call from somebody. Hey, so were you – that Tennessee is hiring Hugh Freeze. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's on your it's on your Twitter account. So I, I don't find it as humorous as some people do. I, no. And then Twitter has uh, declined over the last three years to give me a blue chip. I oh. don't know why, but anyway, that's been a great source of frustration. Yeah. I actually had a football player in Tennessee tell me he wouldn't talk to me because of all the negative things I'd said about him on Twitter. You know how many things I'd said about him that were negative on Twitter? Zero. Zero. Yeah, as uh, my friend Mike Bianchi likes to say, Twitter is evil. So It uh, is. Yeah. Like the Nile virus. It's great having you on the show. We'll be right back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zach's Meats with hand-breaded chicken, fresh-made salads, and sauces from mild to wild. Stop by today. Okay, uh, thanks to Jimmy for coming on the shoe. A really big shoe right now on our show. Topo Gijo. Uh, that's a bad Ed Sullivan impression. And, and there are millennials out there going, Ed, what? So you mean the, the baseball coach at Florida, Sully? No. Anyway, right now on our stage, the Beatles. Um, I grew up with that. Maybe you did too. In the, in, on this weekend that we just had, we knew we were going to get some bad football, and there was a lot of bad football. There was some, some good football, and, I, and like we talked about, I knew there would be some. But how about this? I look, I did a little math here. I am good at math, actually. The top eight teams in the country averaged 53.5 points a game. Blow out, blow out, blow out, blow out, blow out, blow out, blow out. This is what's happening in college football, and I'm not sure. Look, everybody says, is this good for college football? You know, it's Alabama, Clemson again, and Georgia, and Ohio State, and Oklahoma. It's the same teams, and it's going to be the same teams. And and the only way it's not going to be the same teams is if somebody, maybe it's Florida, maybe it's um, LSU this year, maybe it's um, – Michigan, although I don't really believe that. But somebody's got to get into that playoff and maybe win a game or two or win them both and and win the national championship. But even that, it's only going to help that team. It's not going to help all of college football. College football's issue right now is an issue they can't solve, and that is that the teams that are really good keep getting the best players. They all want to go where they play for championships, where they're always on TV. Frickin' Alabama is on TV next week on the CBS 
the not prime time, but the prime spot, the three thirty spot that everybody covets, everybody wants. It's great for your businesses in your community because people go out to dinner after the game and tend to stay overnight. When you play a noon game, they go home, right? So three thirty spot is one everybody loves, and it's CBS. They're playing Ole Miss. Ole Miss sucks. They're terrible. But they're playing Ole Miss because they're Alabama. They're Alabama. Now, I know we didn't think Florida Towson would get in that spot. But um, the point is you you keep – you know, these guys are getting all the prime time and all the all the good love, and they and these kids see it and they just want to do it. They've also spent the most money on – because they brought in the most money and they've spent all this money on – uh, certainly on on um, facilities. So I heard uh, Peter Burns say this. He was talking about this, and you guys probably read about the uh, California law that they passed about players being able to use their likeness and and sell autographs and stuff like that, and the NCAA threatening to kick every school from college football out of you're out of out of the NCAA if you do this and. I don't know where this is going to end up. The truth is, I'm not sure. I, I This will be an abused policy, which is why the – look, it's more work for the NCAA if this policy does go into place. And let's say California does it. Now everybody's saying, well, we can do it too. Let's do it in uh, Alabama. Let's do it in Florida. Well, guess what? At Florida, I'm just, I'm just throwing this out, there's this big booster who's made a ton of money and – um, he's going to have an autograph session where you can get Joe Smith's autograph for $2. All you got to bring in anything you want and get him to sign it. Okay, great. But he's going to pay him $100,000. And you, there's got to be some restrictions, It's but it's a Pandora's box. There's no question about it. But what if they did this? So well, anyway, what Peter Burns was saying was that it would it would help it would make people go to lesser schools. In other words, you might get a guy who would go to Iowa, okay, rather than go to Ohio State because he's not going to start at Ohio State. He won't have the opportunity to sign autographs. And the guys were shouting him down. They're going, yeah, he would. Because Iowa State at, at, at Ohio State, the third-team tackle still going to sign autographs and people are going to love him. But what if they did this? You know what? This is an extreme outside-the-box thought, and it'll never happen. What if they made a deal where they set a sliding scale? The worse your team was, the more you could charge for autographs or the more you could use your likeness for more money. So they had literally, like at Alabama and Clemson, yeah, you can still use your likeness, but here's a restriction on how much you can make. And now all of a sudden players are going, hey, I'm going to go to Wake Forest. Because Wake Forest went three and nine last year, and as a result, on the sliding scale, you can get a thousand bucks per autograph. Now that's way outside the box, and that is never going to happen. And now we'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, obviously, FSU lost again Saturday night. Uh, what a shame. Uh, there's a fan, young fan, who was selling lemonade and raising money to buy out Willie Taggart's contract. Uh, I don't think that's going to be uh, a fact. I just don't think they're going to be able to do that, and certainly not with lemonade money. But funny story, there was a this, – this goes on Twitter, and this is what's funny about Twitter in a way. This fan met Steve Spurrier and said, hey, my dad is an FSU fan, and he said, 
well, tell your dad, Willie Taggart's doing a great job. They should give him an extension. It's an obvious dig at Willie Taggart. So she puts it on Twitter, and now it's gone viral. It's all over the place. But that's the thing. She's thinking of this innocently. This will be a funny thing. I got nine followers. I'm not saying she does, but I'm just saying she probably didn't have very many followers. And now all of a sudden, everybody, I guarantee it'll be on PTI and uh, what do you, what's the, I can't think of the name, Highly Questionable, and it'll be on First Take and all these shows at some point this week. Um, anyway, not going well for FSU. And uh, that's a shame. Um, I, want, I did want to talk briefly about the rankings. And I'll try to get out of here after three things. Obviously, we need to move along with this week. A lot of stuff going on. I, I, you know, and when I was listing my th- my ten most annoying things about college football, and obviously one of them was people who complain about too many bowls. They they drive me nuts. Like I've said before, you don't have to watch them. Nobody's making you watch them. You know, there's probably mash reruns on some channel. Go watch that. You don't have to watch the bowl game. There's not too many bowls. What other also bothers me is people who complain about the polls and say, "I they shouldn't do the polls till late October." I'm like, why? Is it hurting anybody? Is anybody being physically or mentally damaged by the polls? They're fun. I enjoy doing them. I didn't enjoy doing them at seven o'clock in the morning after getting to bed at two thirty on Saturday, but still, I did it, and I did move UCF up. I, I don't know what to do with UCF. That's the problem with UCF. Oh, okay, they played a Power 5 team and they destroyed them. Yeah, it was Stanford. Stanford's terrible. I don't know how Stanford got to be terrible, but they're terrible. They doesn't even look like the real Stanford. They got a game against Pitt coming up. Pitt's not great either. And But the thing is, to me, it's not – Man, if UCF could just play a Power 5 school, it's if UCF could play a Power 5 schedule, we could better evaluate them. I've got nothing against UCF. I make fun of them every once in a while just to aggravate people like Mike Bianchi. But i got nothing really against them. I, I admire what they're able to do on offense. It's un- unbelievable. I moved them all the way up to, I think I had them 14th this week, and I think they moved up to 15th in the poll, you know. But don't take it too seriously. All right, Virginia jumped up four spots by beating a bad FSU team and be, and kind of got a lot of breaks to do that. Who cares? Michigan dropped a spot and they were idle. Oh, my God. The outrage. The humanity. They're just for fun. TCU's ranked. You know who they've beaten? Arkansas Pine Bluff and a bad Purdue team that's one and two. And their one win was over a really bad Vanderbilt team. But they're 2-0. and Let's rank them. Okay, fine. Not hurting anybody, peeps. It just makes it more interesting to me, like in the second week of the season when you got number eight versus number 11. It's more interesting. It's just if you say it's Auburn, Oregon. That's, but that's me. Those, I just don't understand why people get so upset about it. Anyway, let's move along and do three things. It's time for three things. Number one, there should be, and and it's funny, I saw this on CBS Sports. They did a whole story on it. There should be a remedial math course for all coaches. Um, and not some of it is the feel of the game. Some of it is time and everything, and I get that. And I did totally disagree with Dan Mullen going for, going for two when he did there. 
Uh, I know it would have pulled them within three, but I, I just that early in the game you don't chase points. That's that's always been my philosophy. He and I w- will probably disagree on that forever. It could have bit them terribly if because then they had to go for two the next time. And if they kick that field goal and Kentucky makes it and they lose the game instead of tying the game, we would have all still be questioning it. Coaches need to know what's going on. Remember Butch Jones before the um, Callaway play uh, when when they were here, was that four years ago? Should have gone for two to put his team up seven. Instead, he didn't think about it. He kicked an extra point. Florida came down, scored, won the game. There should be a remedial. I mean, it's just like the pit coach, Arduzzi, who – Kicked the field goal from the one-yard line with like, what was there, like four minutes to go in the game? And I'm like, what? Why would you kick that? Well, we needed two scores to win. No, you didn't. You could have scored a touchdown and gone for two if you were that desperate. Or you could score a touchdown and put the game in overtime and still win the game. We saw it at Sy- in the Syracuse game. We saw it in the South Carolina game where coaches just don't sometimes get it. Like if it's a if if it's a three score game and you kick a field goal late in the game and it's still a three score game, that's not the right decision. Even if it means going forward on fourth and ten, Will Muschamp, just to get points, to get points, not, isn't always the idea. There should be a class. Now, I wrote about this in in the column today. The guy that I admire was Neil Brown, who was up seventeen and took against NC State and went to for the two-point conversion and took a knee on it. And that was brilliant. You know why? The only way you can probably lose that game, there was, there was only two and a half minutes to go, and you may say it was no big deal, but is if they block the kick, run it back, now they're within 15. They can still hit a pass, hit a big play, score, get a two-point conversion, onside kick, and, and you know, he took that all that out of the game. That was really smart thinking. But I wish every coach in America would take that card that they have that tells you when to go for two and burn it because it doesn't tell you what's going on in the game. Where are you? How crazy is this game? Uh, what's the momentum like? How much, you know, what's, how much time's left? They should just burn it. Number two on three things. Uh, it's kind of interesting watching the NFL this week because nothing really is happening. Jeez. If you're an NFL writer, you just like picking out, what do I write about? Uh, Eli Manning getting benched. Interesting. Eli Manning's made more money in the NFL than any player in history. Do you know that? It's like $250 million. His record is 500. And he beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl twice. So you give and you get. I love Eli Manning. I think he's I, – I, like, I don't think he can play anymore, and they need to, to make a move. Their season's going nowhere anyway. So he gets benched. The whole Jalen Ramsey saga of, of getting in a fight with his coach and then demanding a trade, and then they had a press conference today where he dropped like nine F-bombs and uh, get him out, I you know, whatever. I don't care with the Jaguars. The whole, you know, Fitzpatrick, is the, the Dolphins continue to tank. They send Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers. The Steelers lose Roethlisberger for the year. The Saints lose Drew Brees. Guys want to leave. Guys want to go. Steve Young said it right, too. The NFL is becoming like the NBA. I'd rather go play for a team that's winning 
than sticking out here and try to help my team win. It's definitely what's happening. And then finally, number three, another NFL item here. I saw this today. In week two, there were 96 holding penalties. It's a point of emphasis. You know what it won't be? A point of emphasis in week 10. They'll just stop calling it. This happens every year with some kind of point of emphasis where we need to make sure these guys quit doing this. And you might say, well, maybe they quit because they were getting called. Nah, that's not what happens. You don't see as many penalties in week 12 as you do in week two. It just doesn't happen. You call Because they call everything in the preseason. It was unwatchable. It was unwatchable anyway because nobody ever plays in the preseason. But it even got worse in terms of um, penalties. Also, a shout-out, as long as we're talking NFL, Jeff Driscoll signed with the Lions. I hope he sticks with them. Uh, I like Jeff a lot. He obviously had his problems here. I mean, I'm just on the field, not off the field. Don't want to get Brian Greasy on me. Um, and Eddie Pinheiro, or Pinedo, whichever one you prefer, kicking the game-winner 53-yard field goal for the Bears. Uh, I, li- I like that kid a lot, too. So, you know, I, I root for people that I like that are that are good people. That Wow, we've gone way too long here. What are we, like almost 50 minutes? Well, let's just say that'll do it. We'll be back Thursday with another podcast. I think Matt Baker is going to join me from the Tampa Bay Times, and we'll talk about rankings again with him and what he's seen because he saw FSU play a couple weeks ago. And um, he's uh, Matt, Matt's got an interesting job because he kind of goes all around the state covering teams. So we'll talk to him about uh, college football and uh, what we're going to see. All right, I'm exhausted. This, 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 you guys are probably, if you're on your treadmill – You're ready to get off. If you're in your car, you probably pulled up to your destination. So let's call it a day. I am Pat Dooley, the sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I am deep. I am way back. And I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is presented by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit ViStarCU.org. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.